0: Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Art Wright, and this is the podcast of Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in. This sermon you're about to listen to is part of our ongoing journey through the narrative lectionary this fall. We um, continue this week in 1 Kings chapter 18. We read verses 17 through 39 in worship. It was a long passage, but it's a good story. The story of um, Elijah and the prophets of um, Baal, or Baal as I pronounce it, um, as they gather at Mount Carmel to have sort of a contest to prove whose God is the one true God. Um, and it's such a fascinating story. I hope that the sermon is helpful and meaningful to you as we sort of make sense of it and try to unpack what it means to be people who um, uh, feel torn between different allegiances. And uh, today, um, We are a congregation that is moving through uh, a wonderful fall season uh, in life and ministry. We're continuing to connect and get to know one another, uh, especially because we continue to see so many new faces in our pews week in and week out. We um, do a a monthly potluck, and we have a coffee hour once a month as well. Uh, We've started some small groups and are trying to find other ways to nurture relationships as we grow as a congregation, and, and we're so glad that you're listening in, whether you're here in Williamsburg or on the other side of the ocean. And we're so glad you're listening if it's November 6, 2023, or years from now. Uh, it, it really is a blessing to us that, you've, that you're you tuning in. You can find out more about our congregation at williamsburgbaptist.com. You can also check us out uh, on Facebook or Instagram, where we have um, active social media accounts. Uh, That's more than enough from me. I hope that this sermon is meaningful to you. God bless. I haven't often talked about my own faith journey uh, in terms of where we are as a welcoming and affirming congregation here at Williamsburg Baptist Church. I didn't grow up in a Baptist or evangelical congregation or church, and so it was eye-opening when I got to college and started hanging out with a bunch of Baptists and hearing about this whole other side of Christianity that I'd never had access to. They were using phrases and words I'd literally never heard of, like the rapture and substitutionary atonement. And And by that time, I had not really processed much at all related to sexuality and faith. And so I was going to some Baptist churches with friends, and what I would hear there was very much the party line, namely that God only blesses heterosexual relationships and marriage. But my experience of my friends who were out in college was very different. I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I just didn't get a very strong, wow, this person is going to burn in hell for all eternity vibe from any of them and so i found myself struggling with the dominant theological position about sexuality and faith and i graduated from college and went to grad school wrestling with some very specific questions what does the bible say exactly about sexuality and marriage and inclusion and i read a lot Articles and books, anything I could get my hands on. I learned Greek and Hebrew and learned all about historical and cultural contexts of the Bible. And so I began to understand some of the translational and interpretive issues that poke holes in some of the the dominant theological position about sexuality. And as strange as it might seem, I kept reading about this one guy named Jesus who time and time again would welcome people who had been marginalized in his society. He seemed to want to hang out with women and tax collectors and Samaritans and sinners more than just about anybody else. And so I found myself landing in a theological position of acceptance and inclusion. And that's a a short story. If you want to hear the long story, take me out for coffee sometime. But my hunch is that in many regards, my story is not that different from many of your stories, and maybe not that different from this church's experience as a whole. As we have shifted from what is the dominant theological understanding, we no longer find ourselves at the center of popular religion and popular Christianity. And in many ways, we find ourselves on the margins of our faith, serving as a countercultural voice witnessing to a God who loves and welcomes all. And to me, that sounds an awful lot like following Jesus. But it's worth acknowledging out loud, I think, that sometimes it's a hard position to be in when you feel like you're the only one. It takes an awful lot of courage. We have taken a baby step through the biblical narrative from last week to this week. Last week, we met... Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and I don't know where Nancy is, but I'm still struggling to keep straight who is who. Uh, But remember, Rehoboam became the ruler of the southern kingdom, and then Jeroboam takes charge of the northern kingdom of Israel. And as time is apt to do, time passes, and kings come and kings go, and eventually Ahab becomes king of the northern kingdom of Israel. But if you remember from last week, things have gone off the rail, In spite of the whole thou shalt have no other gods before me commandment, idolatry is still trending. And so instead of worshiping the one true God of Israel, Ahab and his wife Jezebel worship the more popular God of the time, uh, Baal, or Baal sometimes is how we pronounce it in church. Baal is the Canaanite storm god. And that's significant because what do storm gods do? They send rain, right? Right? But by 1 Kings chapter 17, a drought has hit Israel. And so along comes this prophet from the northern kingdom named Elijah, and he basically says, I serve the Lord, and until I say so, you're not getting a drop of rain. And then by the time we get to today's chapter that Leah and Sarah read, the drought has caused a famine. And so King Ahab goes to Elijah, and that's where today's story picks up. Ahab approaches Elijah and says, hey, you're the guy that's causing so much trouble in Israel. And Elijah says, look, bud, I'm not the one causing all the problems. That's on you. You ditched the commandments and started worshiping idols. And so Elijah proposes a showdown of sorts. And I, for one, think it's a fascinating text. He says, gather 850 of your best prophets and let's meet at Mount Carmel and we'll settle this once and for all. And they do. And so 850 prophets who are on the king and queen's payroll show up uh, along with a whole bunch of other people. And here's what Elijah says. He says, I'm the only one left who serves the Lord. We're going to take two bulls and prepare their meat to sacrifice to each of our gods. You'll build your altar out of wood, and I'll build mine, but don't light it yet. Instead, y'all pray to Baal, and I'll pray to the Lord, and we'll see which God answers by sending fire to consume the sacrifice. Then we'll know for sure who is the true God. And maybe surprisingly, the Israelites and their prophets respond, great idea. And so the 850 prophets take their bull and prepare it for the sacrifice. They make a pile of wood and they don't light it. And then they start praying, great Baal, answer us. And (laughs) prepare to groan. They look to the sky and there's nothing. No great Baals of fire. Sorry for the dad joke. That's what you get when I realized Friday that's what I should have named my sermon. Anyway, Okay, okay, let's try to get back on track. So I have 850 prophets. They start dancing around the altar, worshiping and praying even harder. And this is where the text gets funny. Elijah starts mocking them. He says, why don't you just pray louder? Maybe your God is just sleeping or on vacation or, believe it or not, in Hebrew, maybe he's just gone to the bathroom. (laughs) I kid, this is in the Bible. The prophets of Baal do everything they can think of to get Baal's attention to no avail. It's dead quiet. It's a rather awkward no-show for the Canaanite storm god. And then Elijah says, okay, come watch this. And everyone leans in. And he takes 12 stones and builds an altar. And the 12 stones are symbolic. They're intended to rep- remind them symbolically how God called them to be a people of 12 tribes, all Jacob's children, Jacob who became known as Israel. And he places the stones one by one as if he's saying, remember, remember, Remember who you are. Remember, remember that you're supposed to be a blessing to the world. And after the altar is assembled and the wood placed, Elijah asks the other prophets to pour jar after jar of water on the altar so as to make it as hard to ignite as possible. It's soaked. And if you've ever been camping in the rain, you know there's no way Elijah's going to get this fire lit, okay? And then he prays. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are indeed the God in Israel and that I am your servant. Answer me so that these people will know that you are the one true God and that you can change hearts. And lo and behold, fire does indeed fall from the heavens, utterly consuming the altar and the sacrifice, evaporating the trenches in the uh, that are filled with water all around it. And sure enough, the Israelites fall on their faces and confess the God of Israel is indeed the one true God. I can't help but think it must be hard to be that minority voice. Elijah acknowledges that he's the only one on his side of the contest. It's a lonely position to be in. Meanwhile, the 850 prophets of Baal who just tell Ahab and Jezebel what they want to hear represent the dominant theological position of the time. there's is there's the popular Canaanite religion. They have numbers on their side, and they prop up their wealthy and powerful patrons. Meanwhile, Elijah is speaking from the margins. It must take an awful lot of courage to be the only one. A bunch of us from our church went downtown to PrideCon last Sunday, and it was a wonderful afternoon. We met some folks from the Unitarian Universalist congregation there, but otherwise we were the only church represented. But I'll be honest, we had an awful lot of fun. And maybe no surprise to Fran and others in the congregation, around 3.30 p.m. I needed an afternoon pick-me-up, so I headed downtown to Aroma's Coffee Shop. <laughs> And so I walk into Aromas, they practically know my name there, and I take my place at the back of this long line that's winding its way around the display case of baked goods. And seconds later, this young woman with a baby on her hip walks up to me and says, excuse me, are you a pastor? And I tense up immediately because I know that there's one of two ways that this is going to (laughs) go. But I look down uh, in the coffee shop and I'm wearing my rainbow, this pastor loves you t-shirt, and so I know I'm not wiggling out of this, and so I say, yes, I am a pastor. Um, and she says, oh, well, I'm a Christian missionary, and I'm wondering if you've heard these particular verses before. And then I know for certain what's about to happen. She pulls out her phone and starts reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. Do not do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covet, covet nor blah 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 will inherit the kingdom of God. She's laying it end to me. I try to cut her off, and assuring her that I have in fact read those verses, and I have even read them in Greek. And she's not impressed in the slightest. And I tell her that hers is not a very good translation of those particular verses, but she just keeps going. She verbally berated me for about ten minutes as the line made its way slowly around to the cash register in a crowded coffee shop. And I sort of turned my body to the side, sort of to give a little indication I'm not really in the mood for this conversation. I sort of stuck my my face in my hand and shook my head in disbelief. And I could have left, but I really wanted coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I was partly curious how this would play out. And I won't share everything she said in the diatribe. You can probably guess most of it. Uh, And if you want more details, I wrote an article... Uh, on the experience for the Virginia Gazette newspaper yesterday, and as sort of a reminder that if you verbally accost a pastor in a coffee shop, you're going to end up in next Sunday's sermon. (laughs) And so I said, ma'am, it's been a long day, and I just want to get a cup of coffee and go home to see my kids. And she kept at it. She rebuked me for leading y'all astray, so I'm sorry, you guys. She said, I had strayed from the straight and narrow path and was on the wide road that leads to damnation. And she said, I had taken the easy path and capitulated to modern cultural values. And I responded, ironically, I think I'm actually in the vast minority of people who support full love and inclusion of LGBTQ persons. So perhaps I'm the one on the narrow path. After all, I'm the one being berated and harassed in a coffee shop. And she says, show me in the Bible where it supports your perspective. She might have said, prove it. Prove to me that your God is a God of love and not anger and wrath and hellfire. And if you give me an hour sometime, I'll be glad to show you. But in that moment, I knew that there was nothing I could say that would change her mind. And I was off the clock and honestly just wanted my cup of coffee. And so I said, look... It's clear to me that you and I don't see eye to eye on this, and we're not going to see eye to eye on this at the end of this conversation, and so I just don't want to talk about it here. Sometimes I just wish I could call down fire from heaven, not, not to respond in violence, but to prove that I'm right and she's wrong. The unfortunate and hard truth, I think, in wrestling with today's passage is that we don't often get dramatic displays of power to prove the presence of God's love and acceptance in this world. It would be so nice if we could just call on some miraculous intervention just to say, I told you so, especially because we do find ourselves as a church in a minority position. But we don't get the benefit of fire from heaven, and so our proofs, end up coming in more subtle ways. I was just about to the register, but feeling very frustrated and defeat, defeated in the face of my antagonist who just kept pestering me. And this young woman turns around in front of us, this true story, I kid you not, she says, I couldn't help but overhear your entire conversation. And I'd like to get your cup of coffee pointing at me. And it was such a grace filled moment in the midst of what had become a suddenly unbearable and uncomfortable afternoon. And I said, That would be so much appreciated. I just want a small black coffee. She turns back to the register to order, and my Christian missionary friend knows that she has to wrap up this haranguing, and so she launches a couple of severe, I'll pray for you comments at me. And I can't remember, I'll be honest, but I think I responded, I'll pray for you too. (laughs) It's a little bit hazy. The woman in front of me hands my cup of coffee, and we chat for a few moments, and I found out she's a graduate student, of all things, right across the street. And I said, look, keep shining your light. It really does make a difference. The irony is that I saw nothing loving or winsome about my Christian missionary friend as she verbally assaulted me in the coffee shop. There's nothing attractive about her message, all puffed up with pride, and nothing that made me want to believe in her God, even though it continues to be the most popular God among Christians today. And in this simple gesture and courageous act of empathy and kindness from this young graduate student, I saw the light of Christ. Just as clearly as you might see fire raining down to light an altar, I have no idea if she would call herself a Christian or what her theological perspective is, but I saw light and fire shining brightly in her. I can't prove it. I'm not sure I want to, to be quite honest, but if you're paying attention, my hunch is that you'll see it too. I saw God's presence and boundless love in the graduate student. And in her quiet act of kindness, she was spreading divine light and love and goodness in this world. And maybe that's better than fire. And maybe, maybe that's what it takes to remind people who the one true God is and who we are called to be. Amen. Amen.